How are we doing this morning? Okay, that is not going to do well. I drove two hours and one minute to get here. Actually, my wife did all the driving this morning, but that's not going to... How are we doing this morning? It's awesome to be here. And in all seriousness, um, you know, Jody and I, we've uh, been... You, know, you may not know us, but we know you. So we know you from afar. We know you... I mean, we've known Dave and Bree for... I was just thinking about it's over 10 years. I mean, it's, it's crazy. But we were with you when you started in high school, and to see what God has done in this place. I mean, can we praise God for his goodness and his faithfulness? I mean, it's awesome. And just to spend the summer and, you know, the month of July and kind of all be together, um, I know is, is a real, it was a real joy as well. So we're grateful to be able to be with you here today and to spend some time you know, um, as I said, we've known each other for a long time, and uh, you got an awesome pastor. That was a really good... <laughs> Who am I talking to here? I, there was one guy over here that said amen. It was just really good. But let me try that one more time. You got an awesome pastor. And it, 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 I don't know if that counts, Dave, but I, it's all set up for this. And you know what? This is a couple that has stepped out in faith, not only themselves, but their family. To do with not too many people do, to start a church, to proclaim the gospel, to open up God's word each week, to disciple, to train them and their family. Let's just praise God for the commitment and the faithfulness. It's such a big deal. And so we're thankful that Dave is part of our network of churches and he provides much leadership to many pastors. And we get the privilege, we've got a couple of our guys coming in from High Point Church speaking this July. So we're really, really excited. But now, that you're warmed up, I know we're going to give the praise where the real praise is due, right? Breathe thank you for all that you do in this church. Amen? All right, I kind of fooled you on that one. All right. Okay, let me, let me, let me drop this name on you. Buckminster Fuller. Dave, if you were going to have another kid, which maybe we shouldn't say that, Buckminster, if I was going to have another kid, that is the name that I, is that a power name or what? Buckminster Fuller. And so I think we got a picture of him. Check him out. He's up there. And he wrote a book back in 1982. So look at the crowd. Some of you weren't even born then. And 1982. And the book title was called Critical Path. And in it, I mean, this is a guy that was way ahead of his time. And he pointed out that knowledge was doubling. And he noticed and he pointed out that knowledge was doubling every century up until the year, the 1900s. And then he wrote about, and honestly, it was way ahead of his time. He said by 1945, knowledge began to double every 25 years. By 2013, knowledge began to double every 13 years. Some would argue today that knowledge doubles every 12 hours. Think about that for a moment. That knowledge, like more knowledge, what you have, what's available to you on your phone, on your iPad. It's just like, I'm getting so much knowledge every 12 hours. More, 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 doubles, doubles, doubles. I mean, we are swimming in knowledge. Anybody agree? It's everywhere. But I just have one question to ask. With all this increase in knowledge, are we increasing in wisdom? Are we doubling in wisdom? I don't think that we need to do anything but go into social media accounts to see that doubling in wisdom, it's not happening. And so I want to talk with you today 
about how to increase our wisdom. I want to talk with you about the difference between knowledge and wisdom because they're not exactly the same thing, although they're intermingled, they're intertwined, they're interdependent upon one another, knowledge and wisdom. But it's not the same. And so I want you and I want me to grow not only in knowledge, but in wisdom, as wisdom is simply knowledge applied. I often say this, that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. <laughs> That's all I got for you today. Close your Bibles, we're going home. No, no seriously though, but it, it's intermingled, it's interdependent, but it's very different. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Proverbs chapter 1, and I want to take you through the first seven verses of Proverbs, and because this is a book that's all about wisdom. Interestingly, it, wisdom is mentioned over 125 times in the book of Proverbs. It's mentioned five times in these opening verses. So I want us to distinguish, I want to give us some words of wisdom to help us distinguish the difference between wisdom and knowledge so that we can grow in wisdom. Let me go ahead and begin reading. It says in verse 1 of Proverbs chapter 1, the Proverbs of Solomon and son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice, in equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. There it is. And the one who understands obtain guidance. That's what we want. To understand a proverb, that's what we're looking to do, and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. Now notice verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hey, if you're a note taker, go ahead and write this down. It's our first word of wisdom that I want to share with you. It's simply this, that we'll put it up on the screen, that wisdom, the highest pursuit in life, is to obtain wisdom. Like, that is the highest pursuit. That's what we're to go for. That's what the book of Proverbs is all about. Hey, looking for something to read over the summer? Book of Proverbs. To obtain wisdom and insight. The highest pursuit of life. Let's take a look at what it says in verse 1. The Proverbs, so these are of Solomon. Interestingly, Solomon, he wrote over 3,000 Proverbs. 503 are included in this book, Proverbs. The rest that he didn't write, he influenced greatly. Some say Proverbs 31 was written by him under a different name. I mean, he wrote a lot about wisdom and knowledge. Middle of verse 1, it says that he was the son of David. And so David, we know that was his dad. He was the second king of Israel. David was a wise person. As the Bible says, he was a man after God's own heart. He did some things we won't talk about now, but obviously his record was blemished a bit. Why do I share that? Well, because wisdom and knowledge aren't void of misunderstanding, stupidness, evil, and sin. Can I get an amen? Because we're going to fall into some traps. But then look what it says in verse 1. It tells us that Solomon was not only the son of David, he was the king of Israel. So he's the third king. He ruled for 40 years. And he ruled for 40 peaceful years 
because of his wisdom, because of his knowledge, because of his insight. And so as we look at verse 2, Solomon says the highest pursuit of life is to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. He doesn't say to know power or to have a position or to have great possessions, although he had a lot. He doesn't say it's about what, the greatest pursuit in life? It's power and privilege and people and power. He says none of that. I love how he says it. He says to know, that's what he's talking about, is to know knowledge. He wants to know wisdom. Now that word there in its original language, know, it literally means to experience. And the Hebrew word translated wisdom in our English Bibles comes from one of three Hebrew words. So catch that. There's three Hebrew words that are translated for us. So it's hard for us to get the true meaning of what this wisdom is all about. Now, the one that is mean, used here, it literally means skill. So wisdom is about obtaining skill in certain areas. It's used, the same word is used in the Old Testament for those who had skill in building the temple. Interestingly, this is the most common one. It's often, check this, it's often mentioned in the female voice. I've been thinking about that. It's mentioned here in the female voice. Do you want to know why? I love one honest guy here. Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because... Women are smarter than men. That's why he didn't want me to say it. I thought I'd get a huge amen from the women on that. But you know why I didn't get it? Because you know you're, so you tell me something I don't know, please. But in all seriousness, it's about obtaining skill in certain areas, specifically in life. And so when you see the word wisdom, it's I have skill, knowledge to be applied in my daily living. And I love this next word that he says that it's not only about wisdom, but it's about instruction. I want to experience wisdom, skill, and instruction. If you double-click on that word in its original language, it literally means discipline. So I think for us, we often know that discipline, for those of us around the block for a while, what does discipline mean? Well, it's about saying no to something now for something better later. That's discipline. And our world lacks discipline. We lack discipline in our own life. So Solomon is saying, hey, the highest pursuit in life is to know wisdom and instruction, to, to have skill and training that can benefit my life, and to do what? And to have great discipline. It says words of insight. That's that I would be able to see things differently. So question, and the man in the back will not answer it. Just kidding. How do we get this wisdom? I'm joking around because I think many of us know if you've been around church for any length of time, because we just ask ourselves, how did Solomon get it? Well, Solomon prayed for it. Do you remember? First Kings chapter 3, I'm going to flip there for a moment and just read you his prayer to God. So this is something he wanted desperately. And so if we want this for ourselves, if we want this for our families, man, I want this for my kids. Man, I know we want this for our church, that, that we're to pray for. And so 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7, Solomon cries out. He says, 
And now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I don't don't know how to go in and come out. So he's praying, I don't really know what to do in this situation with what you've given to me. Boy, that's an interesting thing. He acknowledges great humility in the midst of his seeking out great wisdom. And then he prays and he continues the prayer and he says, a great, he says, and your servant is in the midst of your people in whom you have chosen a great people too many to be numbered or counted. Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people. There it is, he's asking for it. That I may discern between good and evil. Isn't that the prayer we want? What is good, what is evil, especially in our day and age where evil is marked as good and our culture is taking us down the wrong path. And he says this, he says, so that I will be able to govern your people. And it says in verse 10 that it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches in this life, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, now do I give you understanding according to your word. Behold, I will give you a wise and a discerning mind. Father, I just pray, even for this moment, I just, as we are in the midst of summer, that you'd give us wisdom. And that, Lord, I don't have wisdom. I need you to give me wisdom through your word and through your spirit. And so I acknowledge those watching online today maybe are going through great difficulty. Maybe those who have stepped into this church for the first, the second time, or, or have been coming here for years, that, that, Lord, there's struggles and there's things that are happening where We need greater insight from your word on how to lead our families, on how to to do the things that you desire, how to seek your will. And so I pray through your word that you would give us great wisdom and insight. As Solomon asked, I asked on behalf of each of us that you would give us wisdom. If you agree with that prayer, simply say amen. The attitude in this pursuit. That's the next word of wisdom. So I'm going to give you some words of wisdom from the word about wisdom. And so the attitude in this pursuit, you're not going to get it if you're not teachable. So you have to be teachable. Now, I remember when I played, um, I played basketball in high school, and I remember one practice specifically. I don't remember the details, but I remember the result. And so my coach kicked me out of the practice and made me run the halls for the whole practice. So, I mean, the whole time. They're scrimmaging, I'm running. Why did he do that? I know you're thinking to yourself, how could he do that to you? (laughs) I know that's running across your mind, even though you don't know me that well. Well, he did that because I thought I knew more than he did. He did that because I thought I knew better than he did for what was best for me, for our team, and he's just like, Ron, get out of here, Zap. That was my nickname. Go run. And I, and I ran the whole practice. True confessions from the stage. I don't know what's happening here, Dave. When I was in third grade, I brought home my report card, and my mom opened it up, and it said from my third grade teacher, can you believe this? It said, Ronnie has a chip on his shoulder. How would you like to bring that home? And she was right. And God's been using 
other people, his word, to just, to just file it down. And I think all of us, if we're honest, we got some chips on our shoulder as a result of some experiences, as a result of some know-how, as a result of some things that we think we know that we don't really know. And so Solomon next, I love verse 3 because he's going to give us four specific areas just to kind of file us down a little bit. So I want to take a deep dive in these specific areas. Look at the words he uses. He says we need to receive instruction, i.e. we need to be teachable in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice, in equity. Now, I slowed down on purpose because think about all the things he could have said. Think about the whiteboard we could come up with. Hey, man, I got to be humble. and I got to be teachable in these areas and how to fix my bike, what to do if I get a flat tire. No, he doesn't say that. On the way to church? No, he doesn't say that. He, he says, these are the four things. That's what we need. And so I want to ask four simple questions, and we've got them up on the screen. The first one has to do with wise dealing. Are you being honest and fair and professional in all your business dealings? I mean, for the business people in the room. I remember when Jody and I moved into our first house, we planted the church in the year 2000 um, in Wheaton, Illinois, uh, we actually started in Glen Ellen, if you know the western suburbs. And so we bought a house in Wheaton. We went to a really nice development. And the house was built in the 60s. And the first thing we said was, you know, hey, um, have you ever had any water in the basement? And they even signed the little thing. That's what they make you do. That said, No, 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 no. We've never had that. I bought the house from a pastor. Guess what happened the first rain? Torrential downpour, me and the three girls, we're down there shoveling. I mean, we're bailing the, I mean, it was like the, the basement was flooded. There was cracks in the foundation. And we're just like, this guy told us that there, there was no water? And the guy that sold us to the house, the real estate agent, started coming to our church. And he was sitting like in the second row. And every time I'd be preaching, I'm like, looking at this guy, you've lied to me. God, would you please rain down on that person right now? I'm joking, but, but are you being wise in all your dealings and being honest and fair? That's the first thing. Second thing he talks about when it comes to, how about the next one? We'll flip it up on the screen when it comes to righteousness. And this is such an important one. Are you trusting in Christ's righteousness, his imputed righteousness? Now, I'm taking a leap here and looking at the whole of the Bible but Christ's imputed righteousness that can't be earned? Are you trusted in that rather than your own self-righteousness to please and honor God? I gotta tell you, you know, for Jody and I, man, I, first 27 years of my life, I was trusting in my righteousness, who I was, what I would do. Jody and I didn't become Christians until our first year of marriage after it crashed and burned. And we were trusting in ourselves and what we could do to restore our marriage. What we could do to restore ourselves. I was in the business world, had no idea that I would accept Christ and the trajectory of my life would change. I was trusting in what I could do. 
I'm not saying that every Christian needs to become a minister of God's word. But in some ways, we all are, aren't we? That how will they hear if there's not a preacher? I can remember that was the struggle. In my, I don't, I don't want to be a preacher. But when you trust in his imputed righteousness, not in your doing, but what he's done, not what I can do, spelled D-O, but what's been done, D-O-N-E. Come on, man, that's the gospel. And God will change anything. And so are you trusting in his righteousness? I like how Tim Keller says it. He says, the gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. Mic drop gospel. Trusting in his righteousness. Next word, this is an interesting one. He says specifically in our day, justice. And so let me ask you this question. Are you treating everyone with dignity, honor, fairness, and respect because we're all made in the image of God? That's justice. Listen to what John Perkins says. John Perkins, if you're unfamiliar with him, he wrote a number of books. One of them uh, was called One Blood. We've had him speak at our church in the Chicagoland area. He's, uh, man, I'm telling you, this guy, unbelievable story. Civil rights leader for under four presidents. He's in his 90s now. Uh, Jody and I have had dinner at his house in, in, in Mississippi. I mean, this guy is like, he, he's the, he, literally, he's one of the wisest people I've ever met in my entire life. And just he's just dripping with wisdom. Listen to what he says. Perhaps the strongest indictment against us as the church is that we have settled for an Americanized version of the church that mirrors whatever culture says. Is he speaking truth now? But look what he says next. And there's no uh, collective sense of loss, no sense of remorse. We've sinned deeply. The problem is that we haven't got a taste of the sinfulness of racism. We don't see the wickedness of profiling God's people that he has created to be one and that he created in his image. Lastly, when it comes to equity, are you speaking up and standing up for those who are being mistreated, mischaracterized, marginalized, or bullied? Remember what Jesus did. John chapter 8. It's recorded for us. The Pharisees, they brought out the woman who was caught in adultery. I mean, what were they doing? Waiting for her, watching her, looking through the windows. I mean, what's going on? They pull her out and, and look. And they had their stones and, and they were ready to stone her. And Jesus said this. He said, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. You know the story. And they, they, they dropped the stone. And then he said to the woman, it's such a perfect picture of what we want to be, men and women of grace and truth, that he looked at her and he said, go and sin no more. I mean, Jesus had that perfect picture of what we want to be with justice and equity. And Are you displaying a teachable attitude in these areas? That, that's wisdom. That, that's knowledge. Let's return to the basketball theme for a moment. <laughs> I'm not going to make you run the halls if you don't get this right, but John Wooden, the, arguably the greatest college coach of all time, the GOAT of all coaches, he won 10 NCAA championships, four undefeated seasons. He's a committed believer. Listen to what he says. It's what you learn 
after you know it all that counts. Did you catch that? It's what you learn. Oh, we got it up here. It's what you learn after you know it all. So it's like you think you know everything, but, but man, you've just begun. You've just scratched the surface. And so even as we sit here today with the things that we're talking about and what God's doing, that it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Our next words of wisdom. Waiting for that guy to get that phone or something. No, I'm kidding. Our next word of wisdom. The adventure in this pursuit is teaching others. So that's what we are able to do is wisdom is knowledge applied but it's not just for us. It's for what we can do with other people. And that's what the truly wise person does, is he just doesn't hog it for himself or herself. He spreads the wisdom. And so that's what I see happening next in verse 4. So I see two specific groups of people. He says to give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth. So we got the simple people and we got the youth. So who are we talking about exactly when we say simple people? Are we supposed to get in our cars and drive to Iowa? That was a joke. My wife was born on a farm, so hey, you know what I mean? It's just like, but simple here doesn't mean, you know, you've been born in a certain place. It, it, it means innocent. It, it's, it's this idea that I'm innocent of things and it's unsuspecting. I remember Jody's, uh, my mother-in-law, she got a phone call, this wasn't too long ago, and it was from someone claiming to be our oldest daughter. So catch how they tried to fool her. So they call her up, and they say, Grandma, and, and they say, I'm in trouble. This is your granddaughter. I'm in trouble. I need money right now. And then this is what um, my mother-in-law said. She goes, she goes, Allie, did you see how they do it? So she got the name of our, of, and she, oh yeah, this is Allie. This is Allie, yes. And then literally she started instructing her on, to go to the bank, to take out this money, to wire it to her because she wanted to tell us. And thankfully, I mean, I won't go into all the story, but thankfully she didn't do it. And remarkably, you know, we kind of stepped in and we figured it out. And, but I mean, that's the kind of stuff, I mean, we live in a world where people are trying to take advantage and people are trying to fool. Am I speaking truth today? I mean, so the innocent, the, the unsuspecting people that, that were to teach them. Now, they don't have to be in their 80s either. I mean, that's for sure. I mean, have you gotten a call lately about your car warranty? <laughs> what is with these people? I'm like, I get this call. It's like, you know, I, I finally I answer the phone. I'm like, I don't even own this car anymore. Stop calling me. But, but people are trying to take advantage of us. And then it says the youth, you know, in verse 4. And, and, and I love this because there's no higher calling for us, each of us, as adults. Some of us are starting to adult. We've got three girls that are adulting. And, and, and that you pour yourself into others. I mean, that you would share that wisdom. And the church collectively, that's what we love about City on that. We love this church because there's a vision that your pastor has. It's not just about you. Say, it's not about me. Oh, say it like you believe it now. But it is. It's not just about you. Certainly we want to please the Lord. And what we want to do is we want to invest in the next generation for Christ. 
I mean, they're the one. That's why we're planting churches. And I see Blake here, Pastor Blake. So let's praise God for him and his desire to plant a church. And, 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 and it, man, it's awesome. And so we don't want to just reach the generation that we are. Man, that's one of my greatest thrills is at our church. It's like, I want to reach the next generation. And, and, and if I think about what they're going through and what I went through, it's just, it is extremely different and much more difficult. So how can we pour wisdom into the next generation? I love what Ben Franklin did. Maybe you've heard this story. He literally, in his will, he gave $2,000 to the city of Philadelphia and Boston. But he stipulated that it could only be used, this $2,000 could only be used for, specifically for youth educating and helping those that were young. But the interesting thing about it, he had another stipulation. He said that you can't spend the money until 200 years from now. So he had the foresight to put $2,000 in this city, $2,000 in this city, and he told them for 200 years. Well, 200 years later, over $7 million was used to invest in the next generation. Man, how can we do that? What, what can we do to think clearly, to, to really do something unique to invest in the young people for God's glory and for the building of his kingdom? Next, word of wisdom. Good stuff so far? With that kind of answer, I'm gonna just get in my car and drive back to Chicago right now. Good stuff from the Proverbs? Okay, that's good. I'm, 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 uh, but it's not only an adventure in teaching others. The aim, and this is really important, the aim of this pursuit, it, it, it's maturity. And so for us, we know it, it's spiritual maturity. That, that that's why we want wisdom and knowledge. We want to grow deeper in our relationship with God. We want to become wiser in his word and in his truth. That's what I see in verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Interestingly, double-click on that word guidance in our English Bible. It means to steer. Hey, how about those cars now that steer themselves? Anybody got one of those? Raise your hand if you got one, because I got I gotta. Nobody's got one of those? See this commercial? The car is steering itself. The guy's playing some kind of patty cake or something. Have you seen this? I'm like, is this really a good idea? I mean, we're distracted enough that it, we're going to let the car steer itself? Uh, man, God's word needs to steer us into wisdom and guidance so that we can be mature. And so we can't let go. It isn't going to do it itself. Now, interestingly, the book of Proverbs, if you have your study Bible, you can see this. It, right in the introduction, it'll tell you that it's written to two groups of people. It's written to the foolish, it's written to the wise. So it's foolish and wise. Now, but the thing that's kind of remarkable is that under foolish, there's actually three different Hebrew words that describe a fool. We only have one word that's translated in our English Bibles, but there's three specific words. So what I'm going to do for the next couple minutes, I don't want to lose you. But we're going to do a deep dive here, I mean, into some original language, uh, Hebrew. Like, I want you to understand 
these three words. So put your thinking caps on. Again, I don't want to lose you in this, but this is extremely important for us to avoid being one of three, three types of fools. So the first fool, I don't know, let me, let me show you a picture of the first fool. This is what the first fool is. This is Homer Simpson. And that word, it's used, what's, what's funny about this, is it's 49 times. This translation of fool in our English Bibles is used. It means to be close-minded. It means to be thick-headed. I mean, did we pick the perfect guy for this? That's the first fool. You can tell I'm joking around. Okay, to have some fun in church today? Second person, this is the second word. It's used three times. Who's this? Anybody know? No, it's Patrick. Patrick is so foolish, he nailed a board to his head. And this word, again, it's only used three times, the Hebrew word, in, in the book of Proverbs. But it, it, it has this idea of lacking spiritual insight and spiritual knowledge. That's a fool, is I don't see the spiritual implications of what I'm doing. We just lack knowledge. Fool number three, didn't ask permission to put this picture up. Sorry, Dave. I won't say the names. <laughs> Dave watched these kids growing up. I'm just kidding, but it's Beavis and we won't say the next. But what's funny about this is they're used, this, this word is used 19 times. And it literally means arrogant and, and, and rebellious. I don't think we could pick a couple better guys than these two for being arrogant and being rebellious. In verse 7, this is the word that's used when it says at the end of verse 7, fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's the word that's translated here. Now again, we're having some fun to, to talk about a real concept that a real important concept, that there's fools, there's many different kinds of fools that are described in the Bible, and then there's wives, there's wisdom. Let me read from what one pastor describes, how he says the wise and the foolish are treated and what we need to be aiming for. This is a long quote, so, but I think it's beneficial, so let me read it to you. He writes, the essential difference between the wise man and the fool in the book of Proverbs is that the wise men will hear and the fool won't. It isn't a question of the fool's mental capacity. Actually, they may have unusual intellectual ability, but they just can't be told anything. They labor under the fatal delusion that their knowledge is infinite and their judgments are infallible. If their friends try to counsel them, they receive scorn for their efforts. They watch them trying to escape the inevitable results of sinful and stupid actions, but they're helpless to avert the crash. And so he or she goes on from one crisis to another. Anybody know a person like this? Yeah, we do. And, and the truth is, sometimes we are. But he goes on to say, when it comes to finances, they're a disaster. When it comes to personal life, they're in shambles. Their business totters on the edge of chaos, but they rationalize that life is giving them a bad deal. It never occurs to them that he or she is their own worst enemy. He is generous in dispensing advice to others, but oblivious of his inability to run his own life. Convulsive talker, he holds forth with the ablome of an oracle. Interesting word choice. However, the wise man 
is made of better stuff, he realizes that everyone's mental wires have been somewhat crossed by the fall. He knows that others can sometimes see aspects of a problem that he has overlooked. He is willing, she is willing, to acknowledge that their memory may be faulty at times. He is teachable, she is teachable, welcoming any input that would help them make the right decisions. Hey, stop right here for a moment and think about that person that stepped in to your life at that specific time. And, and they gave you some wisdom about a situation, about a person, about even something you were doing yourself, where, man, you didn't see it. And I know we have people like that in our lives. They're, they're just wise people. And I can think back and I can think of the names and picture the people in my mind right now that have steered me in the right direction from high school to college. I mean, hey, I had some coaches, man. You know what? I never got kicked out of a practice again in college or in high school. In my young adult years, I mean, when I became a Christian, I mean, parenting young kids, oh my goodness. Then they become teenagers. And finally, Jody and I are enjoying. We just got rid of the last one and she graduated from college. She's off the payroll and we're so excited. She got a job last week and we just praise God for that. But I'm kind of joking. But people step into our lives and, and I want to be that kind of person for someone else. And so that's the pursuit of wisdom is that we want to not only have it for ourselves, but we want it for others. So our last word of wisdom is the aim is maturity. But the anchor, you're holding it in your hands. The anchor is God's word. The anchor is the Bible. Now, grant me a little liberty to get to this, but, but look what it says at the end of verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so that fear of the Lord is used 11 times in the Proverbs. It says, fear the Lord four more times. So if you're counting, 15 times there's something about fearing the Lord that is the beginning of this knowledge that leads to the experiential knowledge of wisdom that we want to dispense to other people. We want it for ourselves, and we want to give it away. But what is the fear of God? I know Dave's taught on this, I'm sure, and we use this illustration. I mean, it's, I think the best thing I've ever heard was it's reverential awe, that, that it's, it's the respect that comes as I revere God for who he is and what he's done. It's the reverential awe that I have for God and for his word and for his, his truth. It's a realization, a respect, and a reverence for who God is and what he wants. It's the understanding that despite when things are out of control, God is still in control. Amen? Amen? He's sovereign. He has a sovereign will that will not be thwarted. And, and, and so we are to give him respect and reverence. Because the fear of the Lord is reverential awe. But how can I revere God if I don't know who he is? Because this is the book that tells me exactly who he is and what he's about. And if I don't have this, watch carefully, don't want to be disrespectful, but if I just toss that aside, 
I'm left, and this is where many people are, I'm left with my own interpretation of who God is. I begin to create God in my own experience. We're living in a world where it's my truth. Do you realize this? My truth? What I believe is true? Man, who's the filter on that? It should bring a tear to our eye. Because I know, and I've done it, if I just try to see who God is through my own lens and my own experience, I'm just making a God that I like, that, that I want, that does what's best for me. And, and that's not the God of the Bible. And so that's why I can stand here and say that, that it's, it's what? It's the anchor in the pursuit of wisdom. It's God's word. And interestingly, Proverbs, it's mentioned twice in these seven verses. It says the proverb. So what's proverb mean? Proverb literally means to be like. So I want to be like the God of this Bible that's been revealed in Jesus Christ. That, that's wisdom. That, that's what I'm going for. I want my life to look like his. But it doesn't always. And if I'm honest, it probably didn't even on the way here when Jody was driving because I don't have one of those cars that drives itself. So my wife has to drive me around. And we got off this exit. I thought she was going to roll the car. <laughs> no, nah, I'm kidding. But we all lose it. I'm like, what? And there's certain turns that happen and things that are unexpected. Sometimes we see the worst of ourselves and, 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 and you can't take it back. But it's always forgiven, is it not? And so forgiveness is available as we seek and pursue wisdom. As we want to be like Christ, we oftentimes fall short. But that's why we're going to end with communion. And we're going to end with communion because let's, as you hold the communion cup in your hands and you take this, Dave's going to explain it in a moment, Think about the wisdom that you want that's available from God and the price that's been paid as what? He, he died a death he didn't deserve to give me life that I could choose the right path, that I could become wise. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace as we enter into a time of communion. I pray for your spirit to lead. I pray for your spirit to guide. I ask, Lord, that, that your word would have an impact in us. And we only know who you are because of what you've done. And you've shown yourself on the cross to us. May we give you the honor you deserve in Jesus' name now, I ask. Amen.